So I've had this idea that I I might go camping for possibly years in a place where there are lots of animals that could eat me. Okay. And I'm going to bring my mom. Oh, God, no. Welcome to Science French. I'm Katie McKissick, a.k.a. Beatrice, the biologist. And I'm here with my good friend, May Prince. Hello. And today we're talking about one of my favorite people. Ooh, who? Jane Goodall. And oh, I'm nice. told I, I love her so much. So this I'm going to like really nerd out over here. So watch out. <laughs> but before I go on my little uh, Jane love fest <laughs> spiel, <laughs> I love her so much. Um, please tell me. Uh-huh. What science factoidy thing you have for me? Because I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I I came across this science factoid uh, while watching Nature recently. Oh, cool. The program Nature. And it was something that I'd never heard before. So I wanted to run it by you because I think maybe you have never heard of it before. Cool. Which is rare. So have you ever heard of the honey guides of sub-Saharan Africa? I want to lie and say yes just to disappoint <laughs> you. But no, no, I, I haven't. All right. Lay it on me. So here's the thing. You know, we, we hear about like symbiotic relationships in, in the animal kingdom and, you know, human world and all that stuff. Honey guides communicate with humans to get beeswax. Oh. So this is how it works. What? This bird will come and it'll see a human like wandering around. And the human is usually looking for honey because... You know, what else do we do? What else do we do? We're we're basically bears. Um, So the nomads that live in this area of sub-Saharan Africa, and I think like parts of Kenya, they'll walk around. They want to find some honey, right? So they're walking around, but it's hard to find a honeycomb in like a grove of trees. It could be anywhere. It could be high up. You can see it, whatever. And so they make this call. The humans make a call. And then the honey guide bird flies over. It's like, hey, yes? you guys looking for some honey? <laughs> you right. This bird will lead them to a hive so that the humans can get the honey, pull the honeycombs out, and then feed the bird. That's the mutual relationship. Because the bird couldn't do it itself because... Yeah, the of, bird can yeah. find the hive but can't get the honey himself. And so the humans and this bird have learned that if they communicate with each other... They can both have honey and be happy at the end of the day. That's adorable. Yeah. So the video was these two like young boys walking through the grove of woods and they make this call and then this bird appears like, hey guys, what you doing? You looking for some honey? I'll take you there. And then the bird starts flying like very obviously from well, so tree to tree. Well, he didn't study tree. beforehand. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, he, didn't study? he didn't study out beforehand and like knows where it is. He has to go find it. <laughs> Lazy. So the bird finds a beehive. He sees humans walking around. He hears their call. He comes to get them, basically. And then he leads them by flying from tree to tree to lead them to the beehive. And then these little boys (laughs) climb up the tree, smoke out the bees, pull the honeycomb out, and then they eat the honey, and then they leave the honeycomb for the bird. And so, you know, the bird eats the wax. It eats the larva in the honeycomb. And this, I don't know how they ever figured out this whole system but they call back and forth, and the bird actually has a different call for alerting them. Hey, over here. <laughs> I imagine it's kind of like from the Three Amigos, where it's like, hey, look up here, look up here, look up here. <laughs> you know, their Latin name is Indicator Indicator, by the way. <laughs> and then um, when he actually gets close to the to the hive, he changes his call to be like, 
It's right here. It's right here, guys. And so it's it's just crazy to me that this this happened. I don't even know how this would happen because it's not even that it's one way. It's sometimes the bird signals to the humans like, hey, I found a hive. Do you want some honey? Yeah, come on. Let's go. And sometimes the humans signal to the bird like, hey, we're looking for honey. Do you know anything? It's crazy to me. That's amazing. And then so, and the birds kind of teach. So the, the, and you know, as birds grow up, they're like, oh, so this is what we do. Like, I they guess, get the memo. And I don't stuff. know how. And, and apparently this is like, this relationship unique is unique between humans and, and animals. I don't know if it exists anywhere else in the world. They're yeah. not sure if the bird also communicates to other animals like this or if it's just humans. Which to me is even freakier. Yeah. Because I figure if it's out there with a bunch of animals, I would figure this out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you you like honey? Excuse me, baboon. Um, I was just going to ask you something. Do you want some honey? God, that's so funny. Yeah. Well, wait, this is in Kenya, you were saying? Yeah, I think so. It's like sub-Saharan Africa. God, it's so funny. I, I mean, I, I love that your your factoid of the day matches Jane Goodall and oh, yeah? what she winds up doing. So here we go. Let's let's go right into Jane. All right, shall we? My girl Jane. So um, I got this book a long time ago because I went to a talk of hers, mm-hmm. and so I, I you know wanted to get one of her books so I could so she could sign it. So there 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 it is. Oh wow! Please with your your ear vision. <laughs> Allow me to behold show this the to signature you, of Jane Goodall. Um, but yeah, so I have a, a book signed by her. That's awesome. She's she's really cool. So she was born in London in 1934. Okay. Sometimes I really do forget how old she is because she's so active and she's just she's she's so great. I she's mean, still alive. Yes. Yes. It's really easy to forget. Like my God, this woman's been doing this for a really long time. Huh. Uh, so she so she was born in London. They moved to a house just outside the city. Her dad was an engineer. Um, when she was five, they moved to France because her parents really wanted um, her and her sister to be bilingual and speak French really well. Hmm. But um, a little upstart named Hitler had other plans for France. Hitler. So they were only there for a few months before they had to get the hell out of there because of World War II starting and bombings and everything. So they had sold the house outside of London. So they moved into the house where uh, her dad grew up way out in the countryside, um, and she said that on the grounds were the ruins of where Henry VIII, um, like, kind of stuck one of his wives. Oh, what? Yeah, so that's like, okay. What do you mean stuck her? Like, well, you buried know, her? No, no, no. Like, when he just kind of was like, I don't really want you anymore, so I'm just going to put you over here. Oh. I think that was the fir- his first wife, Catherine. Gotcha. The one that he just didn't kill. I just assumed kill. buried because Sorry. of, you know, uh, I, <laughs> under- all the chopping. Understandable. <laughs> Unfortunately, most of my knowledge about uh, Henry VIII comes from the show The Tudors. <laughs> so, so I would and and his first wife was the one that he she got the best deal of all of them. She really was just kind of he was like I I I don't you didn't give me a son. You're kind of old. I don't really like you. Whatever. Yeah. So I'm just gonna put you in this house seriously and just like that's where you're just gonna kind of stay forever. Okay, mm-hmm. bye. Like so. I'm guessing I'd have to do some more digging to find out which one. Yeah, I mean, I think the other ones kind of, kind of got the chopper. Yeah, um, just went their own way. I think she was the only one that he kind of had to hold on to because she was Spanish royalty. Right. So yeah, she. So there was some political stuff there. So she she made she got the best deal. But yeah, you know, she wasn't beheaded. So that's great. Good job. Woo. The uh, best the best deal bar is easily cleared yeah. when the, uh, the the span of options includes beheading. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Eddie Hoozle. Uh, so she's, you know, five years old now. Um, and when she first got her 
kind of like her first inkling of what she would be doing as as an adult as when she grew up. This is so cute. So she there were on this on the house where they were, there was, you know, uh, chickens and horses and cows and you know they're out in the countryside so she gets to you know see all these these cool animals she was really interested in how hens laid eggs because uh-huh. she would find them like one of her kind of jobs was to go around and look for them and the hens right. didn't always use the hen house so it, it was like an easter egg hunt every day like where they <laughs> where they lay the egg today um but she but she was just like seriously these animals this egg comes from this chicken and it was just like this is bizarre mm-hmm. and so she was kind of always trying to get into the hen house to watch them but then she'd scare the hens away and they would, you know, run off. So she um, was like, okay, clearly what I have to do is hide in the hen house before the hen is there so she doesn't know I'm yeah. there. Be really, 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 really quiet and just wait and just not move. So she hid in there for hours. <laughs> <laughs> and like, five, so I just, this tiny five-year-old Jane Goodall is like in there in like all the hay and is just like peering out. And finally one of the hens, you know, went to one of the nests in there. And, and and laid an egg, you know, in front of Jane. So she got to uh-huh. see. And she was like, there, yeah, like, wow, the, the eggs really come, like plopped onto the straw. And she's like, woohoo. Uh, <laughs> so so and she's out there for hours. And so when she goes inside to, like, tell her mom, like, guess what I just saw? And it was so cool. Her mom was, like, about to, like, call the police. Because she was like, where is my daughter? I've lost her. Where'd she go? Um, wow, she was a patient kid. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Five-year-olds are just like, more of this now. And she's <laughs> Just like I will sit here for five hours, <laughs> like, waiting um, for the chicken. Yeah, and her mom sounds like the coolest mom ever. Rather than being like, "You scared me half to death," like, "Where have you been?" She was like, she she comes in, she's like, "Mom, guess what I saw?" And you know, a, one of the hens laid eggs. She's like, "Really? Tell me all about it." <laughs> like so, and then she's like cute. inwardly crying. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> um, but totally encouraged her. Um, and then, so then they move again because when England, uh, you know, entered the war, yeah. uh, her dad went off to, you know, to serve. So her mom, um, Jane and her sister, Judy went to live with their grandma at this, uh, different house that was even like more remote mm-hmm. that they called the Birches because, you know, you name houses in England. Yeah. If they're big enough. Right? We, I haven't <laughs> named my domicile. I think you should. <laughs> Apparently it's something you're supposed to do. Um, but th- so that's where she really grew up. Hmm. shared the house with uh, two uh, her her mother's sisters or her her aunts you know and one of their husbands um and she described this other story that really cracked me up where she was talking about how back then you know when she was little people just really the average person just really didn't know that much about not the natural world or animals like people now are much more knowledgeable just kind of in general uh-huh. and she was uh her aunt was talking about how um you know whales are fish and Jane had already started, like, re- you know, reading about animals and learning about them. So she's like, no, they're mammals, just like us and all this stuff. And her aunt refused to believe her. <laughs> and so, and Jane got so frustrated, she cried. Oh. She's like, why don't you believe me that they're mammals? I swear they're mammals. <laughs> she's like, this kid's crazy. <laughs> um uh, but Jane is a good example of someone kind of like maybe Einstein that just didn't really take to school very well. Mm. It just kind of wasn't her jam. She really didn't like it. She would have. She always wanted to be home. She was like counting down the minutes until she could go home and, you know, be outside and, you know, exploring things and climbing trees and, you know, riding horses and just like being out in the world. School was just not her her thing at all. She just, she didn't even want to get out of bed. Her mom was like, <laughs> go to school. I can totally relate. <laughs> um 
And then when she was seven, she they went to the library and got the story of Dr. Doolittle. Uh-huh. And she read it three times, was just like, couldn't, just like kept reading it. She loved it so much. And then that, uh, that Christmas, they got her the book. So it was like, now it's yours. And, you know, so, <laughs> and that was when she decided pretty much like, I want to go to Africa someday and, hmm. and, you know, work with animals. I just love animals. I want to learn everything I can about them. And, um... Uh, the other thing, cute thing I saw, found, like, so she's this little naturalist already. For her 10th birthday, her present was a tree, like an existing tree. <laughs> I love this so much. I don't this know. This sounds like her parents <laughs> totally forgot her birthday. Right. Like, Grab the ribbon. <laughs> Go to the backyard. <laughs> but, like, um, so it was this big birch tree. It was basically, like, her favorite tree on, like, the, the grounds, like, in the garden that she really liked climbing all the time. And then her uncle was like, guess what? It's your tree now. And she's like, really? It's mine? What? <laughs> it's, like, so cute. That is, I'm going to put that idea. I'm going to put that idea back in my back pocket. I'm like, guess what? What like, if you don't have a tree? What if you just have like a bush or something? This bush is now yours. <laughs> this weed is yours, my child. <laughs> this sounds like what little kids do to their parents, where you know they don't have any money or wherewithal to get anything, so they just go around the house and they find random stuff and, and they wrap like, it. They're, they're like, wrap here it. you go. Like, Here's a rock. My sister used to Here's do a that. Fork. She would go into like the library, like just you know the book stacks we had, and she would wrap up books and give them to us <laughs> for Christmas. Like, look, I got you one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. <laughs> Merry like, Christmas. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part was when like my brothers would go into my room and wrap stuff that oh. was already mine and then give it to me. And I'm like, this does not work. At least give me something of someone else's. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> At least give me something of someone else. I love it. Um, so this whole, so she's, sounds like a voracious reader. Uh, she started a nature club. This is so cute. Of course the, she did. The alligator club with just four members. It was just her and her sister and then two other girls. <laughs> she's like, this is the alligator club. She, you know, she published the alligator club magazine and she, she basically like published all of her notes and she was like, they were also supposed to contribute to it, but they usually didn't. <laughs> Okay. They're all like, we just want to eat cookies. Seriously. They're like, we're just in this for the sleeping outside part. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they they camped out in the backyard and they went on nature walks and they had snail races. I mean, this sounds absolutely adorable. They even made a little museum like in the like what we would call the living room of, of the uh-huh. house. Like it's a really old house. It was, you know, the conservatory or, or whatever. Um, but they made this little museum with little plaque, placards of, of things that they'd found. And they would get passersby on the street to come in and oh look at their museum. And then they'd be like, like and then they would basically demand money from them. <laughs> they're like, and now your contribution, sir. They really had the museum business down. They, they, they understood it. Yeah. It sounds like they had the best time during World War II. Yeah, I know. Yeah, she she definitely talked about you know remembering um, the coupons you would need because all, all yeah. the rationing and how they only got you know one egg a day and and the, usually the parents would give them even some of their rations just so the kids would get their nutrition and and even though you had the coupons you'd go to the store and there'd just be nothing on the shelves right. so it's like you didn't really get what you needed most of the time and I think they even inventoried everything in the countryside like all on all farms. So it all went into the communal pot. Like right. You couldn't just keep a chicken and get the eggs from that chicken. Like right. And they opened up their house to people too. And she remembers seeing yeah. she remembers seeing the the you know Yankee soldiers and tanks and stuff and getting you know sweets from the soldiers and stuff. So yeah, it was like part of her everyday life. But yeah, she was like, we just got used to it and hmm. kind of became deaf to like, oh, this battle went this way and that battle went that way. And they're like, yeah. oh, okay, we're gonna go play with snails because we don't really know what to do. Like we're little That's kids. What kids should be doing anyway. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
she kind of adopted a neighbor's dog. Like it slept at the neighbor's house, but then all day was with her and her friends and you they mean were teaching stole? him. No, it was funny. They even checked. They're like, do you mind that he spends all of his time with us? <laughs> and their owners were like, no, they sound like the crappiest owners ever. <laughs> but the dog still slept there. I don't even know why he even bothered ever going back. But um, hmm. I think they, well, I think they actually were the ones that still fed him like right. his dinner. He probably got but, two dinners. Yeah. But, so he spent all day with Jane. She taught him lots of tricks. He was really smart. And he kind of all gave her a foundation in thinking about animal cognition and how their brains work and hmm. just how how you know complex they are and, and everything. Um, so so when she finishes up school, um, she was really good with history and biology, was not a big fan of math or um, other languages. Like English, yes. Learning other languages, not so good at it. Well, she never learned French. Yep. <laughs> and then when she graduated, when she was 18, you know, kind of same system we have now, uh, when she graduated, her parents wanted her to go live in Germany now that the war was over just to kind of make sure that she didn't harbor any, you know, bad feelings toward like the entire country of Germany. Just be like, they are, there are, there were a lot of people that had nothing to do with that. So we want you to go live with this family in Germany for a few months and also, you know, kind of learn, you know, learn some German. She didn't learn any because the family just wanted to <laughs> practice their English with yeah. her. So she just kind of was there for a little while, but... I thought that was pretty cool. I yeah. I don't know how common that would have been. And it's definitely not something that I think anyone would do these days after something. Like no mm. one's sending their kid to the Middle East to be like, oh, I want you to go understand that these, you know, that terrorism is not everywhere. Like, this is not something that I've ever heard of. But um, but I think it's really cool that they, that they did that. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, so she went to secretary school because... That is what young women do yeah. in England at this time period. Was this the early 50s, huh? Yeah. So went to secretary school in London. Uh, she came back and she worked at her, her aunt's clinic for six months, which was for children with birth defects and other complications. A lot of kids that had polio and were were uh, paralyzed from it. Mm. And she was, you know, just doing clerical work. And then she got a job at Oxford for a year. She couldn't go to school there because there was just no way her family could afford it. And for mm. her to actually get a you know full ride scholarship, she would have, of course, like have to be, I don't know, fluent in another language for one thing, probably, and yeah. all these other things. So she was like, well, that's not going to work. But at least I could work there. It's probably the next best thing. Yeah. And she lived in a kind of a dorm situation with, with some graduate students. So kind of got that sort of environment, even though she wasn't a student there. Hmm. Um, and then her, so she's bouncing around to jobs. She, then she works, um, goes to London and works at a documentary film studio, picks what? up lots. I know. So random. What um, kind of documentaries? I, you know, I'm not even sure, but she was the one who picked the music for them. Oh, that's that, awesome. I know. Isn't that, and she, you know, learned about editing and learned about all that kind of stuff. Just huh. Like that's really, really awesome. And then this is, and then her lucky break came. So she's in her early twenties now. Mm -hmm. And then a school friend of hers, like from high school, named Chloe sent her a letter that her family had just bought a farm in Kenya and would she like to come visit I none of my friends families ever bought a farm in Kenya you have bad friends <laughs> clearly <laughs> but um and she so again like she's her this whole time you know she's like I'm gonna go to Africa someday I just know mm -hmm. I am I'm you know I want to work with animals I'm I'll, I'm sure I will somehow but was like I'm just gonna keep working. So this whole time, you know, she's going to the Natural History Museum all the time. She's still reading tons of books. Like she just loves animals. But yeah, she's just trying to get by and figure out how she's gonna do it. Then her mm. friend sends her this letter, and so she quits the job of the documentary film place, moves back to the Birches, you know, mm -hmm. with her mom and her and her aunties, and just gets a waitressing job so that she can save every you know cent, so she doesn't have you know living expenses. Hmm. 
she stores everything under a rug. <laughs> like back, this is like before <laughs> banks are a thing, I guess. But yeah, seriously. I'm pretty sure banks were a thing. <laughs> I guess you just don't use them for savings if you're a lady. I don't know. I don't know. But so she, every day she'd come back with her wages and tips and just shove it under a rug. And then one day after a few months of just saving every single penny or uh-huh. two pence, I don't know. <laughs> Something well, English. Yeah. Some sort of pound. <laughs> Quid? <laughs> Quid? Quidditch? Quidditch, yes. After saving all of her Quidditches, um, they, they seriously, they drew the blinds so that they could count all the money and no one would see how much money she had. <laughs> anyway, so she had enough to, to book the trip to get down there. And before she left, she actually got a secretary job with a big company that had a, a po- you know, a, a separate office down there Random. so she could stay for even longer. This is, this is bananas. Um, so she goes, it's a three weeks, three weeks on a boat and two days on a train to get to her friend. That sounds fun. This is before you fly places. <laughs> like, that too. She loved the boat. She didn't get seasick. Oh, really? So she was just out there looking at dolphins like, this is great. I feel like the boat would be the worst part. Totally. I mean, I, I'm sure other people were miserable, but she doesn't get seasick. So she was like, this rocks. She loves, <laughs> she love it. And then she stayed with Chloe and her family for three weeks and then moved to Nairobi where she got that temporary job just so okay. that she could stay longer and, like, figure out how she could basically, you know, eke out an existence there and, and study animals. And hmm. so someone said, oh, well, if you're interested in animals, you should talk to Lo- Lois Leakey, this, like, famous anthropologist who's out there digging up fossils and writing these amazing papers about the evolution of human beings and stuff. Like, hmm. big deal guy. So she's like... Well, okay. So she, you know, books his meeting with him. And he is like, I mean, if you were shooting a movie about an anthropologist, mm-hmm. like you, like his office would be exactly what you'd go for. It's like <laughs> papers everywhere, skulls everywhere, like animal, like live animals in That's there. That's like my office. I'm not even. <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> How many skulls do you have? I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so she goes and meets him and he just offers a job on the spot because he's so impressed with how much she knows about animals because she's just self-studied for so long hmm. and is so excited. He's like, you've got to work for me. There's I like, absolutely. You're you're the coolest. Well, she seems heaven sent. I mean, I she just drops on him Hello, out of I nowhere. I know everything. Can I please help you? And he's like, yeah, sure. That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, he sounds like a really cool guy. Um, I don't know that much about him. I, I just, I know he was a very important anthropologist Mm -hmm. but um but yeah he he was not too big about all of his scientific staff having the exact degrees that you would think that they would need he was like i just care that you are knowledgeable and work really hard and are just dedicated to the work that's all i care about so he took her out on a fossil dig like a several month long you know excursion like way out there you know camp it's kind of very similar to what she later did to observe you know chimpanzees it was like yeah. here we go <laughs> like, it's like let's off into dig the up some fossils like just crazy and then when they got back she was working at a museum in Nairobi and then she saved enough money for her mom to come visit Aww. I just love her mom. What do you think her mom thought of her apartment? <laughs> I don't know. I could just imagine. <laughs> She's like, honey, honey, what, what is this doing here? <laughs> don't you want to get a job in London? I know. Um, and then, so she's wor- working at the museum, working with Lois Leakey. It's really cool. Hmm. And she's still wants to study animals and she starts getting interested in, in chimps, 
but is like, well, I'm not qualified. I don't know. But she still kind of sits down with him and to, with Leaky and says, oh, I would kind of want to study chimps. He's like, I've just been waiting for you to say that. <laughs> like, like, all right. But now the door is open. Because um, he was one who actually first mentioned her. Because she's interested in, in all animals. She yeah. loves everything. But he he kind of was like, oh, did you hear about these chimps that are in this part of the country? And oh, so he, was, he knew that he she planted the seed. probably study chimps specifically. It wasn't like giraffes or something else like he right. knew it was going to be chimps well he he planted that seed he thought that that would be something that she'd be really interested in Sneaky. and really good at yeah so then when she kind of came like she's like well i really want to be like that's why i told you about them dude <laughs> i was perfect. hoping you'd say that um so and yeah he liked that you know she was like well i don't i'm not experienced enough i don't have the you know the education he was like i don't care honestly he was like i think it might be even better that you're kind of untouched by theories i think the term he used was uncluttered huh. um he was like yeah you're just gonna go out there and just see what you see and i think you'd be really really good at it so he was he was all about it so he needed to raise the money to send her out there because it's you know a lot of gear needed and he needed to hire um like a chef like a basically like a camp cook for her so that she could right. just be doing all that and there'd be the guys you know stationed well, yeah, there. she has to go hide in a bush for 10 hours or <laughs> no, whatever exactly don't have time to make a sandwich. So in the meantime, she goes back to London, starts just, you know, she works at the London Zoo, just reading as much as she can about chimps, you know, while he raises the money. Hmm. So and so, it's, so this, what I think is interesting about this whole process was was how kind of random everything was leading up to this. Yeah. And then, you know, he's like, okay, I'm going to send you out there. It's going to be really awesome. But then they still had a bunch of hurdles to clear. Yeah. So here we're, here we're getting into the hurdles. So he calls her and he's like, okay. I raised enough money and I got approval from the government for you to go out there because at this point um, it was still under British colonial rule. So he had to kind of get multiple levels of approval to be like, hey, we're going to send this like tiny white lady (laughs) into the forest. Out into the wilderness. Everybody cool with this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they were like, yes. Who's a bureaucrat who rubber stamped that? (laughs) I know. But they did say, they're like, well, we're kind of weirded out with just her going by herself. She should have someone with her was just one of the stipulations they made. Um, but Jane got to pick who it was. Oh. So it was her mom. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you serious? I don't think my mom would do that with me. She'd be that's like, awesome. that's really great that you want to do that, but I'll see And you it's again. like also someone that who could object to that? I was like, well, okay. She's like, she well, mom. I just I also love that it like it probably was sort of like a sexism thing. Like a little like white girl wants to go out there by herself. Like, no, she has to bring someone with her. And she's Send like, I'll bring a white girl. Another white lady. <laughs> she has more experience. Yeah. Um so then they had a couple delays before they really got out there. So the first one was uh when they're about to set out, they hear they're like, oh, no, no, there's this big dispute among like fishermen in the area and it's getting violent. We don't think it's safe for you to go out there. So you have to wait. And they're like, OK. So Louis Leakey sends them to um, an uninhabited, quote unquote, island for a month where mm. she can uh, observe vervet monkeys, those little really cute ones. Um, so she did that and it gave her some good experience. These these monkeys were just pretty cool with her. Like after like a week, they were like, oh, yeah, she's cool. Like. Whatever. <laughs> she can get close to closer to us. No one's really worried about it. Um, but she did have a, 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 a kind of scary encounter with a... Because in her book, she calls it an uninhabited island. But then she describes one day she was following the, the monkeys farther back from, from the coast uh-huh. uh, for the, the water. I mean, it's, it's an island. It's a little tiny island. So she was like, oh, I'm going to follow them farther into the, the center of the island to kind of see what else they do when they're back there. And she found this, this trail that had kind of been dug out by a big hippo. So she was just like, you know, kind of crouching down and, you know, climbing farther back. And then she hears something and she turns around and they're 
there's, you know, a local there like in a loincloth holding a spear and is pissed at her. Like, who are you? What are you doing here? And she was like, she just tried to be friendly. So she was like, oh, Jumbo, which just like, hi, what's up? Uh-huh. And he was like, ah, I just like yelled at her. And she was like, please don't kill me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so she runs back. And luckily, you know, luckily nothing bad happened. They worked it out. And he was just, he was like, don't ever come back here again. And we'll be cool. But just please don't, don't step foot past this point. Like stay on your side of the island. But I just, I thought it was really funny. It was like, oh, let's go to this uninhabited island. I'm like, what is your definition of uninhabited? Yeah. <laughs> what do you run into a guy? I don't well, know. Also, that guy was confused. Like, <laughs> yeah, there could what have you, been what? something he least expected to find on his island. Then, <laughs> a t- like a tiny blonde twenty-something. Like, what? <laughs> what is happening? Who clearly doesn't belong there. Yeah. So they're they were you know, after a month on the island with the monkeys. They're like, okay, now you can go. And so they're they're making a trek out there. They're make, staying at a hotel for one night before they like really head out the and last set up shower. a camp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then it's like, oh, just kidding. You still can't go. Now there's a rebellion. <laughs> it's getting violent. So you have to stay here some more. Man, <laughs> I was just like, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it probably was pretty. Uh, you know, heartbreaking. It was like, oh my God, are we ever going to get out there? It sounds like it's, it may, may, will this ever work out? Yeah. Um, But so they stayed there for a few weeks with some of the refugees from what was going on too. And then finally they go out and, you know, they set up camp. And so she starts kind of her routine of getting up at 530 in the morning, you know, heading out to some of the trees where the chimps hang out and when they make their, their beds for the night. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they do is every night they kind of they find like a fork in one of these big trees and just kind of lay some parallel branches down and put some leaves down and just huh. kind of cuddle, you know, snuggle in for the night. So she would she would kind of go to where they were and just watch them. Or she would sleep out there actually near them with just a blanket and be like, please don't any jaguars eat me. Like, and all, all the while she's avoiding buffalo and lions and jaguars and everything. It's like crazy this yeah apparently buffalo is what they people really worry about out there because they can be so ill-tempered yeah Yeah. and she said that there was one time she came really close one like she came around a corner or something and there was one right there but she was let me say right so she he was downwind of her Mm -hmm. or no other way around yeah so he couldn't smell her luckily and she was like oh crap (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna go this way now. Um, but it was a year before any of the chimps would let her get within a hundred yards of her. Holy crap. So on top of how long it took to get out there, it was really, really gradual, slow going for a the chimps. A year to get within one hundred yards, one mm. football field. You can barely see the chimps. Exactly. It was like cool. <laughs> There it is. <laughs> I can see a I think, dot. They think, oh nope, that's that's a prairie dog. Yeah, because as soon as they saw her coming, they would just run off, and you know it took a really really long time. But then, but then kind of the breakthrough was when this old chimp that she named David Graybeard, because he really did have like a gray beard, so cute. Um, he there was a, a tree near their actual base camp that had these these you know really great fruits that chimps like. He actually came to that tree and mm-hmm. was kind of checking out their camp, and I even kind of went around in her tent and like took some bananas and was interested in what was going on. And so when she came back for the day one time, her the cook was like, "Oh yeah, there was a chimp here." She was like, "Oh, what? <laughs> Are you serious?" <laughs> After all this time, um, so she kind of hung out and waited for him to come back. And he, sure enough, he did. And you know, took some more bananas and all that kind of stuff. And was just 
look around. And then even from that point, it was a month before he would get anywhere near a person or her rather. Mm. About a month after he first started showing up, he took a banana from her hand. And that was kind of a pretty big moment because after then when he would see her out and about, he would be like, oh, hey, do you have another banana? And just would kind of, you know, like just come up and just, you know, be, you know, pretty at ease around her. And so some of the other teams would watch and be like, oh, my God, what is David doing? Of course, they called him David, obviously. Well, this just confirms my theory that the key to all good diplomacy is snacks. Exactly. <laughs> Carry around enough food. Exactly. And nothing can go wrong. Snacks or cigarettes. <laughs> go <God>. either way. <laughs> Soon after these chimps started visiting her camp, uh, the National Geographic Society sent a photographer down to kind of document what was going on because they were one of the one of the organizations that was giving some money towards this. Mm-hmm. So uh, they sent down this photographer named Hugo, Hugo excuse me, Van Lewick. And so, you know, he comes down to take some pictures. And then a year later, they were married. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was so romantic. Yeah. Um, I mean, romantic. But yeah, so it was really, I like this time because it was, it was a couple quick breakthroughs because she, you know, she, David Greybeard is the first one to trust her. Mm -hmm. He is the first one that she actually watches uh, fishing for termites, which was one of her really big early discoveries was, you know, that chimps use tools. Mm-hmm. So she watched him, uh, you know, fishing for termites, pulling out the twig and just pulling, you know, and then like licking them off like they're like a skewer. Mm-hmm. And then he would be like, oh, this this twig isn't good enough. He would get another twig and, you know, pull the branches off, pull the leaves off, you know, kind of perfect his tool, yeah. use it, you know, put it into the termite nest and pull them out. And that was like a really, really big deal. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes we forget what the crux of kind of her research was. And that was yeah. really it because everyone at that point thought that animals could not use tools, that animals really don't think. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the prevailing wisdom was like, oh, animals are just robots looking for that yeah are just looking out for food and to reproduce themselves that's and it requires thinking to alter a tool mm-hmm. like that's what early humans did instead mm-hmm. of just finding a sharp rock they made sharp rocks right making something right yeah so um after that she went back to cambridge to get her phd because i think like more or less you know after some of these discoveries and publishing it was like oh this is a really, really big deal. And mm-hmm. so she was going to need to have those credentials from this point on. And and at this point, they're also getting more people to come down to also help observe things. So six years after she started, it was basically a research center where she was the director. Yeah. I and mean, that was, was like, boom. <laughs> it was really fast because, I mean, it, it's, it was slow and yet fast. You know, it took yeah. so long to get out there. It took a year for her to get anywhere near them. It took months after that for her to really start observing them closely and seeing things like this. But then it really picked up. Hmm. It was like, oh, my gosh. No Paid one's off. done this before. Yeah. yeah. She was the first one to go out and sit there for so incredibly long that the chimps, like, would just act no- normally around her and not run off because they were totally freaked. Yeah. So, huh. Yeah. Uh, 1967, she had a child with Hugo, Mm -hmm. um, named, I mean, he he was named after his dad, but they called him Grub. I don't know. I don't know what kind of I like how the chimpanzee is named David Greybeard and the kid is named Grub. (laughs) But there are these really, really cute photos. I mean, I guess, I guess it's bound to happen if your dad is a National Geographic photographer, but really cute photos of him, like taking a bath, like in a little tiny, you know, bin, like a little like bowl, essentially Uh like in the forest. 
Like, and then of course, and she, so she had him out there. Like she didn't go back, you know, she wasn't raising him in London or anything. He was, he was raised there. And so they had to make like little cages for him to play in so that <laughs> truly so that no animals would come right. and eat him. Right. Not so much keeping him in. Yeah. As and not, other things out. Right. And not even, you know, lions or things. I mean, she wanted to make sure that none of the chimps came and took him right. because they'll do that to other, you know, chimp, you know, kind of warring tribes of chimps. They'll go and like take their babies and stuff. Yeah. Let's just take a moment to say chimps are not cute fuzzy kind animals like they can be extremely vicious oh yeah they'll eat meat if they're given the chance oh yeah they hunt monkeys they they have wars with each other yeah um they can be bullies i mean they're they're just as big a jerks as we are <laughs> except they don't have guns like, that's like, like the only I difference i know yeah, they, no cars no guns yeah i d- i have um heard one of her one of her talks was probably a documentary where she was talking about the first time she saw two of the the communities totally at war with each other mm-hmm. and just watch them kill each other and watch some of the chimps that she'd been watching for, you know, over a decade at the time or whatever, you know, die. And it was just like, God, good Lord, man, <laughs> what is... a bummer. But yeah, I mean, if she had studied uh, bonobos, which are cousins of chimps, I mean, they're Chimps are our very closest cousin, mm-hmm. and bonobos are very, very similar. I mean, I, I, not you know, working in that in that field, would not really be able to tell the difference. I mean, they're a little bit smaller, but mm-hmm. any any kind of random person would be like, oh, look, a chimp. Oh. They they they're almost indistinguishable except they're slightly smaller. Uh, but bonobos are the total opposite in terms of like their culture. They never fight. Um, the the females are in charge. Because chimps are very uh, patriarchal. Like mm. the the highest ranking female is lower than the lowest ranking male. Oh wow! So the so the there yeah there is like a highest ranking female. I mean there always is you know someone to kind of defer to. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah the 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 males are you know can be really bullies and yeah and how they establish their hierarchy is by beating each other up. Occasionally they'll smart each other. This seems familiar for some reason. <laughs> it's a schoolyard, <laughs> essentially. Um, but she and she did watch how the males would establish their dominance, and sometimes it wasn't straight up by you know uh, hurting the other one. Sometimes mm-hmm. they would kind of be political about it, or only start like a a minor fight when their friend was right there so that if anything like like so sometimes a smaller male would be the one that was actually in charge of everybody yeah even though he wasn't physically the most dominant would still manage to, to find a way to do that politically huh. or one of them found some like t- some tin cans and scared everybody <laughs> because he was like making so much noise so that's how he became the the head honcho so it, yeah, so it wasn't always like full on like fist fighting. That's crazy. But um, but yeah, so there, so but bonobos are totally different. They're they they really there's like no violence. They whenever they get into a fight, they have sex at the end of it to solve the problem. <laughs> like <laughs> they're all like make love, not war. And chimpanzees are just like I hate everyone. No, no. Um, I mean, of course, chimps can be really sweet, and they you know they kiss and they hold hands. I mean, they you know they're they're also yeah, and you know and and like. And a lot of the males, even when they get to be uh, older and are, you know, can be really aggressive, sometimes they're t- still total mama's boys and, like, don't want to leave their mom and, and everything. So, you know, I'm not, I don't want them to sound like they're just all total jerks. They're just like us. <laughs> they're capable of both. But I bonobos mean, are the best of us. Yeah. Bonobos are just <laughs> so sweet all <laughs> the time. Um, but, um, and the thing that she did while she was watching them that was 
kind of an example of what Lewis Leakey was saying about how she was kind of uncluttered by theories was that she didn't follow all the standard protocols when it comes to observing animals. She didn't number them. Mm. She named them. Mm. And she, so when she first went out there, she gave them all nicknames. And as she watched them, you know, have kids, well, she watched the, you know, the mothers have, have kids, she just named the, the babies with the same first letter so that she could oh, keep gotcha. track of the family lines. Um, so, like, the one that she talks about a lot of time being, like, her favorite was this, I want to say I said woman, but it's, like, this female named Flo. And so she, so she had uh, a daughter, Fifi, and then had Frodo, and Frodo became, like, I know, <laughs> became one of, like, the... Frodo is, is, is a winner name for a chimp. Uh, I know. I like that. And Frodo became a really, really big, you know, uh, head honcho male and was just a bully. Like, he was just, like, hmm. he was an example of the one that got to the top, not by outsmarting or, or kind of being political, but just being huge and mean. <laughs> so... Interesting. Yeah, so... Uh, but it really helped when she, of course, later on, a lot of what she did was raising awareness and raising money so that all the research could keep on going. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't always her necessarily that was out there, you know, sitting, you know, all day, like not moving so that she can observe as much. It was, you know, more research assistants and, you know, other other scientific staff. But she's out in the world explaining to people like these this is how this is how these chimps are. Here's how much like us they are, and here's how endangered they are, and here's how we need to help them. And you know, so mm. naming them was really great, yeah, because people got to learn and you know keep them straight. I mean, if if she'd gone there, be like, yes, chimp number forty-seven is <laughs> is amazing in the way that he establishes what it would be. It's yeah, it's cold, yeah, which is part of what you're supposed to do to not inject yourself into your observations and not anthropomorphize them right but it's kind of like when it's chimps just let it happen because they they are like us what do you want well i think at this point um we've all as humans learned to sympathize with animals and to the point where you know we have a mountain lion here in griffith park in los angeles and his name is p22 like Uh that's his label but people love him. Mm-hmm. Like we're past the point, I think, of even needing names for animals because we've just kind of internalized it. You know, we're going to sympathize with them no matter what, even if their name is a number. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that she kind of started that trend. I mean, I wonder how often people do that in the field and just never say anything about it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's probably easier just because that's how we learn all of our friends, you know. Right. It'd be, it'd probably be, I think it'd be easier, I mean, sorry, it'd be harder for me to remember everybody's number if I like <laughs> if I was out there working, you know, watching all these chimps. And, you know, there's so many of them. There's, she's keeping track of dozens, you know, if not more at a time. Mm-hmm. To keep track of them with numbers would be really hard. And also the, the alliteration of like, oh, you're tracking these matrilineal yeah, lines. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, it, makes it, it just makes it easier. And that's how our brains work. You know, we like naming things. But um, but yeah, and then, you know, she got to a point where, and it's and it's hard, it's hard for me to imagine because, you know, I'm not out there looking at them all day. But yeah, she knew all of them by sight and from a distance too, because mm-hmm. it's not like they're all up in her face all the time. Although they do really like come up to her, now, especially now, some of these chimps, because they live to be really old. Yeah. You know, she, she talked about, you know, Flo when she was, you know, 50 something, being Lord. this, you know, this little old lady, um, you know, chimp. They, they do come up to her now, but it's just like, imagine being able to recognize all of them by their face, you know, at the drop of a hat and be like, oh, that's Fifi or that's glitter or that's crazy. It's, it's bananas. 
But yeah, she was like, yeah, they, just like you recognize all your high school friends. Like that was that was what I was doing. Like or all your classmates. It was like, oh, here they are. I can pick them all out of a lineup. Good Lord. And she's been observing this same population for decades at this point. Yeah. So so it started in 1960. She got mm-hmm. out there in 1960. Wow. So she's watched, you know, generations and knows all of their, you know, family histories and stuff. And and, and she was also during all of her research as you know dna research became possible they could actually know who the dads were mm-hmm. because obviously like chimps um when a female is you know goes into heat she basically has you know has sex with all of the the males that that can so you have there's no way for her to know at the time so that's of course why it was right. all matrilineal it was like who's yeah. your dad no yeah. no you don't even know nobody knows um, but so now, but yeah, they they'll they'll get um, samples when they when they poop and they like they look up to see who. So now they know all of the family trees of yeah. everybody. But um, yeah, she's just so cool. Well, yeah, let's have brunch. We could actually. Have I know. Brunch with her. This Wait is the first scientist that we've covered who's still alive, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that when we started. But yes. Ooh. But she's she's awesome. If you ever have a chance to go see her speak at a university, I mean, she's she travels all the time. This is what she does. I mean, yeah. she still goes you know goes down there quite a bit. But but yeah, her her mission has been to express this to people and let them know that these these animals are in trouble. They still are. People still eat them. Mm-hmm. People are still you know their environment is still being destroyed. She's made so many discoveries about them, including that they that they're is culture because different chimps um, in different areas that they even have the same resources will use different ones and in different ways because they learn from, you know, their parents. Yeah. They don't, it's not like they all do the same thing, even if they're all in, in the same kind of area. But, um, but yeah, she's really cool. And she, and she does, when she does talk, she does the call. Like she'll actually like say hello <laughs> and chimp and all these things. That's awesome. It's really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely go to breakfast. We'll get, we'll all get banana pancakes. <laughs> we will all have a vegetarian breakfast because Jane Goodall does not eat meat. Oh. Because she wants nothing. She's cuz she's she's also very anti like factory farm. Not not the entire idea of of eating an animal, but just factory treating farm, yeah. treating animals really poorly. I mean, animal cruelty across the board, not cool with her. So she would definitely not be having any bacon. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I would expect that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think one of the one of the quotes from her was just if you can, you know, nourish yourself without harming something, you know, kind of why wouldn't you? That so that that's her philosophy and I totally totally respect that. Well, she seems awesome. I know. Oh my god, I love her so much. <laughs> I'm such a nerd. <laughs> I'm such a fan girl. I'm such a fan. Oh, Jane. We should talk about Lois Leakey, her very cool boss that made all of this possible on a future episode. All right. I, I dare say. Yeah. Yes. I dare say. I dare say. So. Now we're just offending every... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So thank you for listening to Science Brunch. You can find us online at sciencebrunch.org, on Facebook, on Twitter. Please tell a friend if you have been enjoying our podcast. Um, yes, tell them how awesome it is and how they should listen to it, too. And if you have any suggestions for scientists that we should cover, we will be planning next season. So you should let us know on Twitter or write us an email, sciencebrunch at gmail. And we will see you next time when we talk about Katherine Johnson. Mm.